continuing in our series, and we've been talking about church government, now we're going to look at elders. But as we begin, it's going to be helpful if we note something, and I put it on your page so you can see it, uh, and that is the word for deacon is a transliteration. In other words, we just basically say the same word. We don't really interpret it, we just copy it. So the noun, diakonos, means servant. The verb, diakoneo, means serve. So seeing that, I think, is going to help us understand what does the call to be a deacon mean? What does that look like? And one helpful way, I think, is going to be if we turn and look at a very famous passage in Mark chapter 10, 35 through 45, and Corbin. Would you mind reading that whole passage for us when you get there? Mark 10, 35 to 45. And as we're turning there, what's happening is Jesus is saying that he's going to go in glory. And his disciples are like, oh, this is great. He's going to come in in the white stallion. We want to be there. Will you give us positions of glory? And then Jesus kind of shifts their minds of what glory and greatness really looks like. Mark 10, 35 to 45. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. (laughs) (laughs) And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. You are able to drink the cup. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, that is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great man, men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. All right, so again, they're thinking Jesus is going to reign. He's going to be a soldier. Hey, let's be like second in command and third in command, right and left hand. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you don't understand the type of glory I'm going to have. And not too surprisingly, the other ten of all of a sudden, wait, hold on, y'all are crying to wheedle in and get top positions? But they're showing basically the same issue, aren't they? Because we want the top position. So all of them have the wrong mindset in Jesus' understanding. Um, he's telling them, look, true greatness is not having positions of authority. It's not having people call on you and look at you. Rather, it's service. It's being a servant. And that word is diakonos, being a deacon of everyone else. In other words, they need to be, to be first. They have to become the slave of all. And this is true because Jesus did not just come to be served, which is the same word, and now, if you like all these grammar terms, an infinitive, 
but rather to serve, another infinitive, and give his life for ransom. Again, so Jesus is saying he came to deacon, if you were to transliterate it, rather than to translate it, to interpret it. And thus, in one sense, we could say that Jesus is the greatest deacon, because he's the greatest servant. Well, how did he serve? Well, here he's talking about by his substitutionary death, by coming and giving his life for ours. But then we see not just this grand thing, John 13, what did he do for his disciples? He washed their feet. And then he said, you know, I'm the teacher and Lord. If I so do, so also should you. So not only is Jesus the greatest deacon, he actually calls all of us to be deacons. Or if we were to translate it, Jesus is the greatest servant. And he calls all of us to be servants. But again, all those words are the root word of deacon. It's not like the office of deacon has its own title. And then there's all these other words for service. And we, we see this even in Jesus. He says more about it. Luke 22, 26, and 27. He says, Let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table, or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I among you as the one who serves. So Jesus came. He came, even though he should be the one who's being served, he came to serve. And so... We saw this really in relation to elders because elders, the qualifications should, qualify, should be true of every Christian's life except being able to teach. A deacon, every Christian should strive to be a servant. So we saw both with elders and now with deacons, what that means is these should be examples or models in the community. Um, and we'll see more about that by looking at some qualifications. But I think understanding that helps us not think of Okay, here's this important office. So there's the important people. And then the whole point of elders and deacons is service, putting others first. But pausing there and just reflecting on this. So in our day, what does it look like to be a servant? Like culturally or just... Sure, or, your, or in your workplace or in your home or in your church or community. Okay, so we call people public servants. I'd say people who are looked down on, like janitors, maids, people who keep our society running. Those people, they're they're a step below. The people we don't want in our society, we say, but we really don't want them to go either. Now, community service projects are good. I'm not going to deny those. those can be helpful. But why is this Jesus calling for more than us to get involved with community service projects? Though we probably should do that too. Well, okay. When you're involved, like, with what you're talking about, it, like you said, it's a higher looked upon. It's like you're in the Rotary Club. You're in the Junior League. You're in the whatever you're in, you know. And it's like, oh, you're a good person. And so you kind of get out of the back. Jesus is talking, I mean, he's talking about sacrificial service, you know, he gave 
yeah. to sacrifice for others and for him. Definitely. Well, you don't seek the reward. You may get one, but you're not doing it for the reward. Okay. That's the line I want to take. Okay. Yeah, that's another good aspect, angle to focus on. You also do it for people who don't, maybe don't feel like deserve it. That's a, you know, like when you're talking about being a Christian servant for people who maybe you don't want to serve, it are not easy to love. Yeah. We've talked about that a lot. There's, it's easy to love some people. <laughs> then there's some people who temperament, body odor, personality, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't calling anyone out. <laughs> Throw Corbin under the bus here. No, <laughs> you said body odor. You know, I think one thing that's different from this and the way I've experienced in our culture is Jesus is calling for a lifestyle of service. Whereas sometimes my experience with community service projects is for some people, as soon as it's over, the service is over. Like, I go serve. I go do that. That's something you do rather than a lifestyle you lead. Um, you know, when we were at A&M, there was this thing, the big event, one Saturday and March, and they would get all, I mean, it was huge, maybe 10,000 plus students. And every, you know, I doubt there was many organizations who didn't do it. But, and then they would sign up, they'd set up things in the community. You could go help people with their houses and all that, which is good. I'm not denying that. But if it's only one day a year, that's not, you know, it should be big lifestyle that we're constantly looking around for our neighbors. What do they need? Not, just, I show up, this is my service, Woo. I'm done with that, check. So, those things are helpful, they can help us serve better, because they're structured and they help us know what's the best way to serve, but we can't limit it to that. Uh, but let's turn to 1 Timothy 3 and we'll see the qualifications for deacons. 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Olivia, would you mind reading that for us? 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. So here, again, we said everyone is called to generic deaconhood service, but we are to set apart to appoint, select, however you want to choose that term, certain men to be deacons. And he gives a list here. 
there's some overlap with elders. Um, but first he says they should be dignified. Now, it doesn't mean they wear a suit and tie, um, that they know how to do everything, but that they live a life that does have a sense of seriousness, that they are, even their persona commands some respect. Uh, second, it says they're not double-tongued, or in other words, they're speakers of the truth. They say what they mean, mean what they say. Third, there's someone who's not addicted to much wine, and that's obviously not limited to wine, but any substance. Uh, fourth, they must not be greedy. It's literally, it's kind of a combination of dishonorable and gain is the word. Um, in other words, as we saw with elders, they serve, and this kind of ties in with what Arnold was saying, they serve to serve, not to get. It's not about, well, I'm doing this because then I'll get praise, or I'll do this because I'll get money, or I'll get respect. I'm doing this because I want to serve like my master. And, you know, the sad reality is some people, whether it's elders, deacons, community positions, positions in the office, they want the position not to serve, but so they can have that prestige, the power that comes with it. Uh, but that's the exact opposite of what Christ calls us to. But here, these last three, the negatives, not double-tongued, not addicted to wine, not greedy, they're basically showing that the deacon has control of their life. Their tongue doesn't control them. Their appetites don't control them. They're, there's nothing addictive. Their wallets aren't controlling them. In other words, they're self-controlled people. And it wouldn't take us long to reflect and notice that there are people who aren't controlled with their wallets, their appetites, and their tongues. And those are people who would be disqualified or who would be shameful. Uh, fifth, in verse 9, it says they must hold to the mystery of the faith and a pure conscience. Now I put Colossians 1.27 on your notes just because there it talks about the mystery. It's not saying that the New Testament's the secret code. It's not enigmatic. Uh, but there, Paul's talking about the mystery of the faith. Would you read that for us, Katrina? Colossians 1.27. And so it just finds the mystery. The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So in the Old Testament, they did not see clearly that Christ would come. They saw that a Messiah would come, but they didn't have all the connections. And that he would be not just with the Jews, but all people. And he'd be in us. And so there's this mystery, not again some secret code. You got to read the numbers in the Bible or do some hunt. Not what it's saying at all. But Compared to the Old Testament, the mystery, Christ was revealed. The shadows, it says in other places. You know, that Christ broke down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. You know, all things to an Old Testament believer would have seemed unthinkable. But that's what it was pointing to. And so, bringing that here, the deacon should be someone who knows the content of the faith, knows the mystery of the faith, and holds to it. That you're not someone who you go to them and every week they got, well, you know, I'm really wrestling with this. Oh, I don't know. They know what is true and they hold to it. Um, I think it's important here that we note that deacons don't mean the non-thinkers. Some people will talk about misunderstandings of deacons and elders at the end. But some people think, well, elders, those are people who like to think. And the people who know their theology, well, deacons, they're just the servants. Well, no. Here we see deacons know doctrine and theology as well. They know the faith. 
and they hold to it, and there's no second-class citizenship at all. Uh, sixth, they should be tested first. Now, what's the test? Doesn't tell us. But I think, like we said last week, it's examining their character and life over time and recognizing people who are doing these things rather than saying, hey, we need a deacon. Why don't you do this? Could you start doing these things and start living this way? Um, their life has shown all the character qualities that we've already seen here. Uh, Sarah, could you read chapter 5 of 1 Timothy 22 through 24? Because there, Paul warns of appointing people too quickly. And in this case, probably not have testing them. 1 Timothy 5, 22, 24. I think that's important because from time to time someone will join a church body and everything in their life seems great. And, I, hey, let's push them forward. Let's have them do all these things. And yet here he's saying, look, don't lay hands on someone too quickly. You know, what appears at first is not always what is revealed as you go through time. So what, I'm going to pause and reflect on some of these things. What might be laying hands on too quickly I don't mean like three months. I don't mean a time frame. What might that look like? Or how might that happen? You haven't seen that person have a struggle situation. Okay. Our pastor in college would often say that he wouldn't marry someone who had they hadn't had a fight yet. Um, so you're going to have arguments. How do y'all respond when that happens? I don't know that he literally meant that, but he wanted them to see, well, hey, how are you going to respond? It's wonderful when it's all goo-goo eyes, but um, eventually it's not going to be like that. At least I've heard. <laughs> all right, what it might be other things? What's the danger if we lay hands on someone of, well, we should probably say laying hands is not what we mean by laying hands on someone. When we recognize someone as a leader or servant in the church, what's the could be dangers if we do that too quickly? Okay. Yeah, and then what might be some fallout and negative effects that comes from that? Okay, false teaching. Yeah. Any other things? I mean, I don't have an answer in my mind I'm looking for. Just... People can be pushed into that position without a willingness, really. Okay. They may seem as if they have those qualities, but they may not be ready to actually engage them in that capacity. If that makes sense. Yeah.
Yeah. Well, so if this person's in this role and shouldn't, then if you do what's right, you have to remove them. And it's always hard to remove anyone because if they were put in that position, people are going to like them. So then there's always going to be fallout and all kinds of other things. Um, well, I mean, we've given a lot of things. How can you even assess these things in someone's life? I mean, it's not like someone walks around with a materialist shirt. Hey, I'm the materialist here. I'm addicted to money. Or, hey, I actually, I drink way too much every night. Just wanted to let you know that. Or every morning, for that matter. It's someone who's, who recognizes their sin. Like, someone who knows, hey, these are, these are you know, at the heart of the Okay, yeah, yeah. As we look, you know, maybe we're trying to recognize people as deacons and elders. How do we know that they actually have these character qualities in their life or don't have the ones they shouldn't have? Yeah, again, as we saw last week, the New Testament's constantly pushing us to more relational way of living than in the 21st century we want to. Well, let's look at verse 11. And verse 11 can be really taken one of two ways. Uh, you can, so I'll just pause and say verse 11. It says, their wives likewise, if you're looking at the ESV. Well, there's no there in Greek. And the word for wives is actually a generic. It could be woman. So you could read it. Women, likewise, must be dignified. So some people say this here is explaining women deacons, deaconesses. Some people go, eh, no, no. This is referring to the wives of the deacons. So just realize the first part of verse 11 is actually an, partially an interpretation because they put their wives. Again, there's no there no possessive pronoun, and the word for wives could be wives or women. So those are two things to understand. So I'm going to briefly lay out why people say it might be deaconesses, and then why it might be wives, and then I'll tell you that I have no idea what the answer is. Um, so in favor of women deacons, they would say, well, look, at here it says their wives likewise must be dignified. Well, if you look at verse 8, deacons likewise must be Dignified. Okay, must be dignified. That's used same two times. That's like a heading. This is introducing a new category, they would say. There's this kind of structural thing going on. Uh, as well, if you look at Romans 16.1, in there, Paul says, I commend you, our sister Phoebe, a servant. Uh, but what does servant mean? Diakonon. Deacon. So you could translate it or transliterate it. I commend you, our servant Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Centuria. All right? But remember, deacon, the word can be taken to refer to the title or to the function. So people who think this is talking about women deacons would say, look, here in Romans 16.1, that's referring to a woman deacon. Those who don't would go, no, that's just referring to what she did. She served in the church. So just telling you what people say. Uh, also, those who hold to this view would say, look, if you look through the qualifications for elder, there's nothing said about elders' wives. So why would this say it? 
So clearly this is talking about deaconesses or women deacons. Um, now, in case you think I've gone off the left end, there are other churches, people you probably read and agree with who would hold this view. You've probably heard of Tim Keller. He would hold this view. Or Mark Dever, Capitol Hill Baptist Church, they would hold this view that this is teaching women deacons. Um, so just note that to say these are people who aren't saying, well, you know, we really want to just accommodate the Bible to our culture. They agree with the authority of God's word, even when it's hard to hold some things because of the way our culture has gone. But saying, look, we think for the reasons I gave, maybe even others, this is referring to women deacons. Others would say, no, no, this is deacons' wives. Um, they would say, well, look, the only thing here that would refer to deacons, deaconesses would be verse 11. Why would there be all this material for elders? Because verse 12 clearly goes back to male deacons. All this material for male deacons, and then you would just have one verse with just a few things for women deacons. That doesn't make sense. Um, as well, they would maybe say, I'm not saying all these are good or bad arguments, just telling you what people say. Well, look, it's clear that elders refers only to men. This should be only for men as well. Uh, along with this, one of the primary roles was to care for widows in the church. Wouldn't it make sense that they would need their wives to help them at times? That you wouldn't want a man deacon just to go, so they should have godly wives who could go and serve with them. So they would say, well, that's the reason it has wives, because elders, while they do something, they aren't going to be there in that kind of personal day-to-day, -day, giving them food and maybe having them in situations where they'd rather have a woman there to help them rather than a man. Um, Could it also be argued that maybe it would serve better to have women deacons to do that? Because I think of Stephanie, you know, she leads our children. You know, she's, that's deaconship what she's doing. She's, she's doing that whole small child. She's, she manages it. You know, she makes sure there's people there. That's what a deacon does. She's a woman. She's doing deaconship stuff. Yeah. You know, I mean, yes, she is a deacon's wife, but she's doing the job of a deacon because. But is she doing the job of a deacon or is she doing, or is she doing but she's, it she's, down or at first? <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. Yeah. She's doing, but, but at our church, we want a woman in charge of the small children because it, right. is, it is a more appropriate space for her, for her to be as opposed to today be in charge of the small children and that could be the same with widows you know to avoid situations where you know things could go awry you would want women in charge of that ministry because then you know I, I don't disagree with you I'm just saying so the people who hold the deacons wives say well yes that's why it's deacons wives because all those things you just said that's why elders don't have deacons do mm -hmm. but I, I understand what you're saying were you going to say something sir Well, so in one sense we all are, in another sense we're not. So, well, Colossians 3.16 says, teach one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms. So we're all supposed to teach, but yet we still set apart certain people to be the elders who teach. We should all serve, but in the church we set apart some people specifically. I mean, it's going to grow out of Acts 6, which we'll look at in a little bit, if that 
seems like they already assumed that deacons was a, was a role. Mm -hmm. Well, it might just be one of those things if everyone's in charge of something, no one's in charge of it. So you kind of need leaders of the servants, maybe. Well, I'm not going to take a poll this morning. <laughs> um, well, I'll just... Does it really work itself? I mean, is there really that much of significance? As long as a woman is not doing anything that Scripture forbids, what's the problem with calling her deaconess? Like, that would be Tim Keller's and Mark Devers' view. I mean, I don't know. Not to put words in my mouth. Why do? There are roles that women have to play. Like, uh, how do you say it? charge of children's things like they are on like the you know children's ministry team or whatever and so you would say like are you not fulfilling this role but they would not call them a deacon like they would know you're you know just because you're in charge of the children doesn't mean that you have this title that comes with it and i think it stems from this that like but this said because this says that you can't even though you really are doing it we're not going to call you i always like to chuckle say hey so do you are you the head servant of that I know what that means in Greek. You're a deacon. Sorry. <laughs> but, I, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Well, anyways, all that to say, um, I think there's good reasons for both ways. I don't necessarily, I'm not like dogmatic on this. Because in a lot of the early churches, they met in women's homes, influential women's homes. You can't say that that woman didn't have any sort of leadership or, you know, head servantship capabilities. I mean, yeah. it's, it's her home. There is, a, there is, it is hard, though, to not cross that line. Like, yeah. I can understand the argument somewhat against it just because, even though I don't necessarily agree with it, because there is this line, like you said, there are things that Scripture clearly says, like, back you Genesis shouldn't trying do. To, trying to take over. <laughs> you got to fight it back. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I'll say a couple broad things and then move on. Uh, you know, one, someone giving guidelines is not necessarily having a position of authority. So in here, two weeks from now, we'll have a meal. If Tracy says, set a table up over there, I don't go, I'm the pastor. You don't have authority over me. That's, that's a very bad view of authority and leadership. I would not want to see I don't want to say but sometimes people get this, well, if we put a woman in charge, they're get well, no, giving guidance, instruction, a wise leader asks people who know for their opinion. You know, even in the home, a, a good husband isn't going to go, well, I'm in charge. We do what I say. They're going to ask their wife, what would be best? They would get counsel. It, it doesn't mean authoritarianism in the worst sense. Uh, the other thing I was going to say was depending on how a church sets up their structure, I think this matters. So if a church only had, like maybe as more Baptist churches do have, a pastor and then all deacons, and the deacons are basically functioning like elders, then I would say, well, I wouldn't want to have women deacons in that case, if that makes sense. I mean, one, I think you need to fix your whole deacon-elder structure. But 
there, in that case, those deacons are functioning more as overseers. And I think there, I think the New Testament is clear. But the interesting thing, no matter where you take this, is verse 11 really is kind of mirroring. So whether you take it, elders, sorry, deacons' wives or deaconesses, mirrors verses 8 and 9. Because verse 11 says they shouldn't be slanders. Well, that's kind of very similar to verse 8, not double tongue. They should be sober-minded. Sober is kind of the... Same as not addicted to something. They should be faithful, verse 11, at something very similar to end with holding to the faith. Um, so it goes on. We'll give a few more qualifications. Verses 12 and 13. It says they must be faithful to their spouse. Again, there might be a translation here. It says let deacons each be the husband of one wife. It literally is one woman, man. Last week for elders, we looked at all the options or two weeks ago that that can mean. I interpret that faithful to their spouse. We can jump back in there if anyone wants to. But then they must manage their children and household well. You know, If they can't do that first, I would put that back in the test. Well, then why would we think they're going to be able to be lead servants here and then notice that this one ends with a blessing for serving well. Verse 13 says, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So if they serve well, first they'll get a good standing for themselves. Now that could be before God, could be a good standing before others, or it could be both. I always like to take the intellectual cop out and just take both. Um, if they serve well as deacon, it's going to give them a good standing for God. It's also others are going to see that they're servants, and it's going to be a blessing, give them a good standing as well. Uh, second, it will give them confidence or assurance in the faith. You really, what is the core requirement of God? That we love Him, and we love others, that we serve them. So if you're being a deacon well, then you're loving and serving people well. And then that should give you assurance that God has really done a work in my life that I want to love and serve others because I know how I used to be. And now he's motivated me, changed me so that I want to serve others. And so it can give confidence. Uh, now, we've looked at lots of things, but this is not an exhaustive list. Let's just think, if we were trying to consider a person for deacon, what might be some things that are not on this list that we would want to consider? Or that you would especially, in our culture, want to examine even from this list? Okay. So they're already taking the lead in serving, not just waiting to be asked to serve. Any other things that would be good to consider? Time remaining on station. Okay, so you're talking about if they're in the Air Force? Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's very legitimate here, you know. Yeah, it's very good, valid for our location. On the flip side, might mean people are only here two to three years, that <laughs> so we might be more proactive to call their prior churches if they already were a deacon and elder and say, hey, we know if we wait a year to test them, <laughs> then they're only going to have a year left. And then we might go, well, we're not going to do it. So it might 
between both sides. Anything else that we would especially want to look for? You might have all the qualifications, but if you don't have the time, well, it might be. So you brought up some unaccepted call their previous birth. <laughs> there you go. And, and background check. Yeah. Not just online, but check prior churches. Even maybe their boss. Hey, how's this guy at his workplace? Because, like we said, you can act one way here and then, boy. He's like the worst worker here. I, he's being considered for a position of leadership in a church? No way. And I've heard horror stories from, you know, you, you always hear that horror story of this guy who, he's a deacon or somebody in authority at a church, and then he, at, in the work environment, you know, he, he's cussed like a sailor in his behavior, so it just there's a huge I think that goes back to test them first. I think you're right. Oh, well, let's end by looking at the task of a deacon. So some people have seen this very specific and some have seen it very kind of broad. Um, I think you're all fairly familiar with Acts 6. We're, we're not going to read it, but there the Greek widows are feeling left out in the distribution. So in some way, the early church distributed money, food, or something, aid. And the Greek women felt like the Jewish women were getting more care, whatever that looked like. So what do the apostles do? They say, this is important, but we need to devote ourselves to the ministry of word and prayer. So y'all select seven people from you who are deacons, specifically set up to serve in this way. Now it's interesting, the seven, almost all their names are Greek, um, but nonetheless. So is that saying that deacons, what their role is, is to serve and care for the poor in the church? That would be kind of a specific focus. Or is that saying their role is to free up the teachers of the church to the ministry of the word and prayer? More broad. I take kind of more of the broad approach. Um, so some people would say, well, deacons is only this aid. But I'd say more broadly, that could change because, you know, today, our church, we do have some, we have two elderly women, an elderly couple. But as far as I can tell, every one of those situations have family members who are very involved. Our deacons don't have to be that involved there but in today's day and age it might be care for a building finances running a website all kinds of other things that could distract teachers from the ministry of the word and prayer so lots of other things there um, but in this one way to describe this is that the elders focus more on 
the spiritual state of the church, whereas deacons focus more on the physical state of the church. I say more because there should never be this disconnect like, well, you know, I'm an elder, so I don't help vacuum or move the chairs afterwards. That's a physical thing. Or a deacon, as they care for people, they're going to have conversations. And that's spiritual conversation as they're helping, maybe giving aid, talking to them. They don't go, well, you know, I can't really counsel you. That's what a pastor or elder does. You know, there's overlap. We don't need to make these cut and dry. Well, that's not my role per se. But in general, the elders focus more on the spiritual things and the deacons more on the physical state of the church. Um, you know, here might be a helpful analogy. I like sports. You know, a good head coach, he cares that his players are hydrated and they stretch. However... If he's spending all his time getting them water and making sure they're stretched, well, no one's going to call the plays. You know, in a church, if the elders are always making sure everyone's being fed and doing all these things, well, then there's no one to oversee. But because the coach, because the elders care that they're physically cared for, that's not an unspiritual thing. They appoint or set apart people. Again, I want to emphasize it's not unimportant it's just a different side of it um you know sadly within if you look from christ and on people can kind of make this dichotomy like the spiritual is really important and the physical is not that important and yet christ came healing and caring for them spiritually it wasn't just i'm gonna care for them physically it wasn't just i'm gonna care for them spiritually he cared for both, and we should reflect that, that we care for the whole being. And on the flip side, our culture is almost the exact opposite. Our culture very much cares for you physically, very little spiritually. We just, a few month and a half ago, graduations. If you did 100 graduation talks, except for the ones in churches, I doubt many of them said anything about where they stand spiritually, devoting their life to God, tips for life, but all these tips can go without their spiritual state. Um, that being said, though, often our care for people physically leads to them wanting to know what we believe spiritually. You know, As we provide meals or as we care for them in various ways, it opens up their heart and their lives going, why would you do this? Well, back to where we started. Because of the head deacon, Christ. We're trying to reflect him. Uh, well, any, uh, well, any questions or comments there on whether we should have more specific focus for deacons or general focus? Though that always works out in each church to a specific focus, but throughout time. Uh, well, it's interesting, you know, Deacons do things, but in here, none of them gave their skills at, do, at doing things. It gave their character. Why is character more important than someone's skills? Not the skills are unimportant, but you can read the list of elders and deacons, and very few things does it say about their skill. Skills can be mimicked. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, well, a 
he can certainly uh, help us to take care of the physical needs of their health that's their soul that they're most concerned about. And that's that's really the most important one to do still. And therefore their character Good point. <laughs> well, let me end with four common misunderstandings I've seen about the relationship between elders and deacons. You can add or overlap. First, there's kind of sometimes I've experienced this view that deacons is kind of the minor leagues. You go in there, you do a good job for deacon. Okay, we'll let you come up to the major leagues of elders. Well, that's not, that's a very bad way of viewing it. You know, 1 Corinthians 12, we started off on this in the series of the church. In the body is distributed many gifts. They're all needed. The hand is not more important than the foot. There are different focuses, but it's not a more important or less important. Um, There could be a person who's a deacon for life, and that's great. They're not in a secondary role, stuck in the minors, never made it up to the big leagues. Uh, Second, Sometimes people think of it, or it gets played out. I don't think anyone tries to set it up this way, but it gets played out like the Senate and the House and the U.S. legislature. Because what happens there? Well, sometimes they both tackle the same problem, but with different approaches. And then what they got to do? They got to try and work it out. Well, it's not like two separate branches of government that we try and work, then we have to fight each other. And what I mean by that is often I've seen, not often, but I have seen deacons and elder boards where they're kind of in conflict. But they should be working together for the same goal, not with this competition. Uh, Third, this is just my experience. So we were talking earlier, people who don't want titles. But some churches, what they've really done is they've kind of minimized these roles. And then their church is filled with committees. But their committees have almost no qualifications from here. And then the committees end up having more power than the deacons or elders. And that's not saying it's wrong to have a committee. We have a budget committee. We have other things. But those should serve either alongside but always under the elders and deacons. And fourth, we kind of already hit on this. Some people see their task or goals are completely separate. You know, we're all called to serve, even elders. We're all called in various ways to counsel and love people through instruction, encouraging words, that's shepherding, even if you're not an elder. So any other misperceptions or unhelpful ways you've seen people apply this, or helpful ways? We don't have to always pick on people. I look at it as in the professional church, it's like it's almost like it's a rung on the professional ladder. Yeah. You start at a deacon in the church, and then you get to be, you know, in big church, then you get to be like a head deacon. 
yeah. head deacon and then like a mid small pastor and then you, and then eventually you know if I'm in a big like Methodist or whatever eventually I'll be in charge of my own church I keep doing these things I, I'll move up the ladder you know so obviously deacon is at the bottom of the ladder so it, it, you, it gets looked at as that yeah which is to go back to where we started, Mark 10, a complete inversion of what Jesus is saying. He starts by saying, the greatest position is the deacon. And yet somehow we flip that and like, oh, well, that's the bottom of the church ladder. And we often, in our own, my own life, don't faithfully apply what Jesus teaches us. Uh, other words, comments as we wrap up? All right. Well, there's more.